Hello and welcome to Divisive Issues, the Foul Mouse Political Comic Book Podcast where two comic fans and two non-comic fans discuss controversial comic books. I'm Sly. I'm Ryan. I'm Phil. And I'm Daryl. So we crapped on Stanley for two weeks straight. Um, well, <laughs> a month, kind of, whatever. Yeah. Well, scheduling is weird. But now we're going to maybe potentially redeem him in the eyes of some of us. Maybe not all of us. <laughs> in the um, eyes of the law. Yeah, in the eyes of the law. And we're going to talk about what makes Stanley a good writer. And we're going to use some of the most... Um, notorious is not the right word. Uh, Iconic, I guess. I, noteworthy. I, famous. Noteworthy. Yeah, noteworthy yeah. examples. Like when people cite like uh, best Stanley stories, they often cite the ones we're going to do now. I, reading these, realized I had already read them because Sly forced me to read these comics in eighth grade, some of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like for sure, for sure, the Fantastic Four one and the Silver Surfer one I read already. Yes. I, I, I remember giving you those. <laughs> I think Sly made me read these too, but not made. I think he recommended all of these to me. No, he he yeah. put a gun to my head in eighth grade and was like, I'll kill you. My wave of terror forcing people to read Stanley comics in the 60s. Well, I think it's interesting is that all these comics that are suggested are from the 60s. Like, there's, it's not modern Stan Lee. Like, yeah. Yes. Like, he peaked, you guys would probably say. And yes. it's been downhill from there. Yes, so, I would say uh, That's important to note because... I, I, f- I forget what we said last episode. I forget what happened last episode. I forget who I was last episode. <laughs> Wonder Woman was a South American woman. Yeah. Yes. But you promised at some point that Stan, Stan Lee uh, didn't evolve as, as a writer. He writes like it's the 60s forever, pretty much. But at the time when he wrote, it was a big step forward because no one wrote superheroes as human beings before. They wrote, were all like, I'm so goody goody. Let's do the good thing. And they all got to belong together. No one had any conflicts. Team books were just boring schlock. If like if you want if you it's a good thing to uh, read these stories if you ever wonder why certain characters are popular like if you ever wonder if, why Fantastic Four has ever been popular they're so lame the movies are so lame Fantastic Four was the first team book where they actually follow each other like the first uh, ten issues like every other issue thing and and uh, Johnny Human Torch and Johnny Storm would get to actual fights and try to kill each like not fully kill each other but maybe I don't know they're like they're throwing cards at each other trying to smash their heads in <laughs> the way team books worked worked in the thirties. 40s, 50s, and early 60s was there would be a framing device where all the heroes would show up and they'd be like, there's some villain with five different plots and then they would split up and they would just be five-page solo stories of each character. And at the end, they'd come back and be like, we did it. And there was no interpersonal dynamic whatsoever. Mm. That is so lame. Yeah. For for such a long time, too. Yeah. Yeah. I originally, like, the first, only comics I actually enjoyed originally that Sly was showing me was the X-Men stuff because... It was really cool to see them, you know, like bounce off each other's ideas and you in battle they would fight together and they would get into fights with each other. Like it was interesting actually. And yeah. even though I assume the X-Men stuff that Sly gave you was more like the late seventies. It was Chris Claremont era. Yeah. But that none of that like would have happened without Stan Lee's yeah. team dynamics. And just even like if you like like the iconic teams now, like Justice League even or Avengers. Avengers they came out of Fantastic Four too, like uh, all, all, every iconic team now, like the Avengers films, would not happen uh, for many reasons because of, of Fantastic Four. But the team dynamic is one important one. Yeah. So let's stop jerking off Stanley's innovations <laughs> and start t- t- jerking him off in other ways. With uh, <laughs> our first comic for uh, tonight, Fantastic Four issue fifty one, this man, this monster from nineteen sixty six. And before Phil starts, we should uh, just give a little context to show like how much stuff was happening this time and how much Stanley was like creating all these iconic characters. This happened immediately after Galactus and right before um, Black, Black Panther. Panther. Black Panther. So like it goes yeah. from 
Uh, what happens was during the uh, Galactus story, Silver Surfer shows up for the first time. Uh, he saves the he helps Silver Surfer helps save the world, and he starts Silver Surfer starts macking not macking it all. He starts get, hitting off well with the thing's girlfriend Alicia, and that makes the thing get really sad because uh, it reminds him that he's a freak while Silver Surfer is this Adon this encoded encoded in silver. <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed because in this issue it brings up like the thing brings up Alicia being with um, Silver Surfer. And I was like, what? Like, can you even romance Silver Surfer? <laughs> well, the context of that I think is important because we're going to talk about Silver Surfer in a little bit too. Is when Silver Surfer shows up, he's just like this cold, callous, like just space guy that's like, I'm just here to do my job. Mm-hmm. And Alicia is a very kind blind woman who like helps him when he gets like damaged by the fantastic four and it's what shows him that there's good in humanity because Mm. it's someone who like the world has ignored and rejected that she's still going out of her way to help someone she doesn't even know Mm -hmm. and like ben because he's just like a big dope takes that as like well she obviously loves him because he's got like nice pecs and like i'm a monster and, like, Ben is always very self-loathing. So even though, like, they're not actually, like, dating or anything, he takes it as, like, she deserves better than me. I mean, if you were a rock monster, I think you'd probably feel the same. If? <laughs> if? No, I, I, w- I wasn't thinking about it from Ben's perspective. I was thinking about from Alicia and Silver Surfer's perspective. Where I'm like, I have no idea how this relationship would work. Because at least from what I know of Silver Surfer, he's very kind of, like, distant. You mean how does his penis work? That's what he means. I'm, I'm going to use my my cosmic touch. <laughs> uh, that's one thing that's uh, like when when the character was first created, Stanley wrote him to just be like Ryan said, just cold and robotic. Yeah. And but the way Jack Kirby drew him, who, who's the artist of the story, Jack Kirby drew him very heroically. And as Stanley wrote uh, Silver Surfer more and more, he basically made him more and more human because he felt like a character who looks this noble. Uh, should not just be a robotic mm. monster. He should have something underneath him. You know, and I, 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 I said like I can't imagine that relationship working. But I also read Swamp Thing, and I think that's a great relationship there. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's just it's one of those things that sounds silly, but like in application, I think it works. Yeah. This issue starts out with uh, the thing Ben Grimm standing in the rain with the title "This Man, This Monster." I think yeah. it's actually a really cool opening page. Yeah. <laughs> and he's basically just moping around saying, like, I'm a monster, I'll never be human again, I'm just going to look like this forever. And people are trying to be nice to him. Like, the cops are like, hey, wanna, you need a ride? And he's like, yeah, right, uh, as if anyone wants to be nice to me. Mm-hmm. And some other guy opens his door and says, hey, come in, um, it's dry in here. And this guy <laughs> is like a, he kind of, he, he he's human, but he has like a thing-like face. <laughs> he, he has no eyebrows. He has like a caveman brow, and I thought immediately, I was like, oh my god, it's Red Skull in disguise. This is a Red Skull <laughs> yeah. man. He, not only does he have a uh, caveman like uh, forehead, yeah. but he also has no eyebrows, so he looks like, uh, like I don't know, like... He looks like weird. Red Skull. He exactly. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, say Silver Surfer with, with face makeup on, but Red Skull's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically, this guy invites him in, and he, he drugs his coffee and uh, says... Um, yeah, like, hang out, you can sleep on my couch. And then while he's asleep, he opens his door. It turns out he's actually a, a scientist. I love that he opens the door and it's just a giant machine stuck like in Like, in his closet. I'm like, how do you get in there to work on that machine? <laughs> we, should, we, should, we should mention, because uh, Ryan and I always has an argument, and it, it, it's, we, haven't, we haven't had it yet, and I just want to bring it up because it's relevant. 
Uh, Ryan said Jack Kirby sucks Every comic he draws I never That's not what I said <laughs> Every comic he draws He just has a giant machine Everywhere in every page And I'm like That makes it cool Like Giant machines are fucking cool And Ryan's like No it's more, like, Can you just stop The giant machines Just once Jack Kirby And no, I'm like No I, you should never stop It's a beautiful man Jack Kirby I never <laughs> said it sucked But I was like It's funny because Jack Kirby like Almost goes he Not almost He goes out of his way To be like Look at these giant machines Yes <laughs> I didn't notice it Until I read like modern fourth world stuff that was after that and there's literally characters like look at all these giant machines these must be and then he just ri- like labels a bunch of jack kirby characters like it is giant machines yeah so this, this giant machine is in the closet and what does it do phil and so now that we know jack kirby sucks uh, quoted ryan uh, <laughs> he he basically attaches it to himself and to the thing and it's going to duplicate the thing's powers onto this guy yeah not just duplicate it like it steals the powers which again one of the funniest silliest dumbest things about the fantastic four is every week the thing changes back into a person for one issue only yeah (laughs) and uh this guy's like well our skeletons are similar so this will work and it it does it works flawlessly the thing is back to human sleeping on the couch and now this evil scientist is the thing and we should mention really quickly that while he was talking with the thing, he was like, I- I've been uh, mocked for two thing. I- I feel- mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. And then when he's like monologuing to himself as things asleep, he's like, yes, now I get revenge on Richards, who has everything I should have. I'm so smart. Yeah, because this yeah. guy's like a spurned scientist. He's like, how come I don't have all the scholarships and like research grants that Reed Richards uh, Yeah, does? and the fame, because Reed Richards is like fam- is yep. famous. Which is yeah. great because it cuts back to Reed Richards and he's just an asshole for almost this entire issue, which is <laughs> yes. really great. Because Sue comes over and she's like, what about dinner, Reed? And he's like, I can't. And she's like, you said that last night and the night before. And he's like, I, don't worry, this won't take too much longer. And that he needs the thing's help and not her help. But he's sitting here trying to make a weapon to fight Galactus. Imagine a, a world leader <laughs> showed up and you you beat him up. But now you're like, he could come back. I need to make yeah. something. I'm, 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 the showing, only I'm showing sympathy for Sue, who just wants a kind of like a normal family. And of course, she had to fall in love with this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for the record, it was her teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. But yeah, like Galactus had just left, so I get it. But at the same time, like Reed does a lot of things like, no, Sue, you can't help me. You're fucking useless. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you need someone to hold you as you jump through time, don't you need someone who's strong? Can't, can't you have a machine that does that? <laughs> You're making a machine yeah. that opens a doorway to a, like a negative dimension. But he doesn't yeah. have a grappling hook. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, this the, the thing he's creating is he wants to like find a way to go past hyperspace because eventually he says... They'll fight beings that can go uh, right, uh, like and, like light. faster than light. He's saying like, like Silver uh, Surfer. Silver, Silver Surfer goes faster than light, and like humans can't yet, and we're gonna fall behind if we don't have it. So he's making yeah. this giant machine. Since this is Jack Kirby, who's a piece of shit, and <laughs> uh, basically, thing shows up, and he's acting a kind ben of Grimm. weird the imposter thing. Yeah, yeah, right. oh, fake, yeah. fake thing. Fake thing. <laughs> Uh, shows up and he's like, "Wow, I'm lifting the thing," and they're like, "Yeah, of course you are." Uh, he's, not, 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 he's not lifting himself. Not lifting yeah. himself. He's lifting the object. The <laughs> yes, thank you for the clarification. <laughs> it's not that out of character though, because Ben Grimm, who I love, is just a big idiot though. So like, when he's like, "Wow, can you believe how strong I am?" This is pretty much how Ben usually talks. Yeah. yeah, but it's funny. Everyone's like, "Why are you acting so weird, Ben? Like acting so stupid all of a sudden? Like you're usually so smart." <laughs> uh, the real Ben Grimm shows up, who looks like a human now, and he's like, "It's not really me. I'm me." And they basically have one of those scenes where, they're like, "No, I'm the thing. No, I'm the thing." And mm-hmm. he's the imposter. Shoot him. 
Yeah, and Sue Storm are basically siding with the imposter because he looks like Thing. Even though this guy looks like their human friend who they knew for forever, right? Like, yeah, they're they're like astonished by that and they're like, wow, he could he could be the real deal. And also one thing that's funny, he says uh, uh Ben Grimm says, Reed Richards boy genius hot, what a laugh. Who the fuck calls Reed Richards boy genius? He's like gray haired, like what? <laughs> <laughs> well he knew him since he was a kid, I guess. That's true. Also, I like this concludes with Ben Grimm being spurned and he walks away, like he walks out away yeah. from them because he's like fine if you guys think he's the thing then he's the thing and it's like can't you just be like let's talk about what we did yesterday <laughs> i think he's probably just like fuck you guys for not believing me like yeah he, yeah i think he's just like angry with the whole situation he's angry about his yeah, life it's and... just funny that that's such an easy way to solve the imposter syndrome if they don't have your memories and instead yeah, yeah. ben's like see you reed well, to be fair, like we said, Ben's not really that smart. But yeah. they do note later on that, as he's going to see Leash later on, he, he does note that. I have to go back eventually. I got to make sure that the posture thing uh, is uh, taken care of or something like that. So it <laughs> doesn't bend him completely, but he is like, fuck you he's guys. He's just pissed off. Yeah. And then, so this guy, they're like, wow, like Daryl said, like this, he really could have passed for <laughs> Ben Grimm. And then we see another giant machine. This machine is giant. Like this. Yes. A whole page. A splash page. It's a whole page machine. It's, it's and an like, Escher-esque kind of looking machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. And this is the thing that can allow them to go faster than light. You have to stop saying thing. You have to start saying objects. Because it's very confusing. There's, there's, this, there's this like subplot here that's really strange where they're, they're at college, right? Just to sum it up briefly. Johnny Storm's going to college at this time. And he got like a uh, uh, Native American like beefy hunk of a man called what why what that's his roommate yeah he's his roommate and 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 this and what happens is while while uh johnny's getting bullied by this uh jock who's like jealous of him because uh, johnny's famous uh, why steps in he's like i am a, a tower of a man and the football <laughs> coach is like i want the tower of a man for my team but he doesn't want to join my team and but, i find and it so funny how yeah. his his reasoning for not wanting to join he's like i don't do athletics it's like no you are the buffest man i've seen in <laughs> yeah, comics this, like that's a good point you, you do athletics somehow you you work out <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a regular human. He's not. He's not a superhuman. Like he's like, no. He's just one of those bodybuilders. He has like no cardio training at all. <laughs> he, he runs only five feet. But according to Batman by Stanley, that makes him the strongest fighter in the world. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, so that yeah, useless subplot. We cut back here, and the way this hyper- hyperspace thing works is. Reed Richards is going to go into this negative dimension where this all... This is the first appearance of the negative zone, guys. Oh, okay. I didn't know what this was. I don't exactly understand how this is has to do with faster than life light travel, but... <laughs> faster than life. Faster than life. Um, basically, he goes it's into... It's a four-dimensional universe. <laughs> yeah, he goes into, like, an abstract, like, Doctor Strange scene. Okay, one thing I want to say. I, I make fun of Jack Kirby's giant machines a lot, but I love when he does collages. So he goes... So Reed goes into this world, and it's, like, lots of, like, bright, colorful, like you said, like, Doctor Strange-style stuff, and it's got the Kirby crackle, which are all these, like, black dots all over it. And then there's a full page of Reed in this, like, world that's a completely, uh, like, not a comic book style. It's a collage of, like, shapes It's, like, and photos stuff. of yeah. planets. And it's just, and like, it gives spheres. it this otherworldly feel yeah. that it's really I think cool. is really, really cool. It's really cool. It's, and is, who's the Doctor Strange guy? Is that Ditko? That's Ditko, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I still, I think I like his stuff more. I like Kirby's machines. I like Ditko's imagination worlds. I think that's fair. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I don't think this is as good as the Doctor Strange scenes, but it, it's still, it's, it reminded me of that. And mm-hmm. as he's in here, he has a rope that <laughs> that goes back to the thing. And he says, if I am in trouble in this negative dimension, I'm going to pull on the rope and you pull me back. <laughs> Which seems like a really, you know, it, it should at least be like a full body harness. Yeah, it seems right? flimsy yeah. for a weird four-dimensional faster than light 
thing? Like, if, it, if it's warping reality, can't it just warp your rope, too? Like, <laughs> well, that is kind of what happens. Yeah. But well, like, like yeah. I mean, we should like, account for the fact that rope will snap, and that's what happens. Uh, uh, Ben's, like, holding out to the rope, and he's like, should I help him or should I not? And Sue's so like, Ben, help him. And he's like, I don't know. Yeah, and, and the whole time like, he starts thinking, like, Maybe Reed Richards is not actually an asshole like I thought because he's spending all this time trying to make this stuff for humanity and he's not going to get famous from this. He's risking his life. And he says, like, if he's going to explore this dimension, like, I would have called a press conference and made this a huge deal, but he's just doing it. Yeah, I, I don't envy him anymore. I never knew how brave he was, how unselfish all these years when I thought I never, when I never got the breaks. Now I know the truth. It was my fault. Nobody else's. I wouldn't work hard enough. I wouldn't make the sacrifices that Reed Richards would. Yeah, and it's bootstraps, you know. So he's mm-hmm. sitting there trying to think about this, but he waits forever, and the rope snaps. And this guy, who's again an evil scientist who looks like the thing, uh, <laughs> he pushes Sue Storm back because she's ready to jump in the hyperspace thing. And uh, this Ben Grimm jumps in, and he gets now stuck with Reed Richards in this hyperspace thing where they're they're flying towards negative Earth or something. Yeah, they're on like a flat piece of debris and they're going to collide with Earth and explode, <laughs> yeah, leaving Earth Basically on astro flying towards Earth. Basically, yeah. uh, since everything is, everything is negative and they're positive, they touch anything positive, they'll explode. Yeah, yeah. whatever. It's really uh, negative, dumb. whatever. Uh, <laughs> but they basically, like, Reed Richards, as they're standing on this rock, he's like, you know, you're the best friend I've ever had. Like, uh, um, thanks <laughs> for you, coming man. to save me, and I'm so sad we're both going to die together, but, like, I wish you didn't come. And even at this time, the evil scientist is like, this guy is such a good guy, and I was jealous and hating this guy, and he says, I ain't even worth his little pinky. And he picks up Reed Richards and says, the only worthwhile thing I ever did in my whole life. And he throws, <laughs> my whole wasted life. <laughs> he throws Reed Richards back all the way to the our world and at the, and then says like i hope you make it back and then dies like he yeah he fucking dies <laughs> yeah. says, as for me i'm not gonna feel sorry for myself not many men get a second chance to make up for the rotten things they've done in their lifetime i guess i'm luckier than most i got that chance for i finally learned what it means to have a friend oh yeah heading towards uh earth to blow up because he's the villain of the story but very quickly he's like i think maybe i was wrong and these Espe- are not especially like at this time comics were like it was explicitly said by the government that like you can't make evil people sympathetic they either yeah. have to be bad guys or good guys so this is like really ahead of its time and also yeah. compared to uh stanley just imagine where all the villains were caricatures. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this guy basically wasn't a villain he was just trying to what he saw as an asshole uh like famous like celebrity scientist he's trying to like bring him down a peg and yeah. then he ends up saving well his well he, he did want to kill him <laughs> well he didn't he didn't go there to kill him he, it's just that he got the opportunity where no, he's he, like, said, I trust he, he said i will destroy the fantastic four because that's that's my classic thing of like stanley can all the villains have, always have to go from zero to a hundred, where they're like, "It's world domination or complete destruction." All these people, instead, of like, I just want to shame these people. Yeah, that's true. And then, well, that's, 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 like, like, like we we always have to point out, like, in the context, like everyone was a, like a hundred at this point. Like, hmm. you don't have super nuanced villains like to yeah. that degree at this. Like, point. this is like one of the most nuanced villains up to this point. <laughs> and it ends with uh, the thing going to Alicia, and he looks like a human, and he's like, as he goes to knock on the door, he becomes the thing again. And he's like, ah, shit, <laughs> I'm the yeah. thing again. And now he's like, well, I'll go beat up the imposter at least. <laughs> and then he runs back, and he sees them, and they they talk about it, and the Richards is like. You know, we don't know what he did before this or his plans, but one thing is certain: he paid the full price, and he paid it like a man. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. Uh, I forget the number already. Fifty-one. Fifty-one. Uh, I really like that story. Yeah. Me too. 
It's one of the most famous uh, single Fantastic Four stories. And one of the things, it was it was hard to pick a Fantastic Four story because, like, everybody's always done Galactus, and it's like, yeah, I, I feel I, like it's the obvious one to do. But, like, even we saw with this dumb Johnny scene, throughout the whole book, Stanley and Jack Kirby's run was a little over 100 issues on Fantastic Four, and there's always these subplots under. And then, like, Wyatt Wingfoot is going to become, like, a more major character as Johnny's education becomes a more major thing. And, like, it's... Something that we don't see as much nowadays where, like, because there wasn't trades and there wasn't collected editions, it would be one long arc that just had subplots that became main plots as new subplots formed. And, like, Mm -hmm. it was hard to pick just one issue to do. Oh, yeah. uh, That's one thing to mention. The Johnny Storm stuff, like, it might seem out of place here. But that's why it's hard to pick a Stanley story because every... Stanley's story uh, never is one complete story. Like all the good ones, at least every every time Stanley does this, uh, uh, beginning and middle and end, it's always kind of crappy. Like the Stanley just imagine stuff. He's always best when he's making like these long arcs that go over many many issues, which is yeah. a good example in our next story. And like even this uh, is a good like insight into his Ben Grimm, like sad, yeah. like self loathing kind of like you know guy from you know just like a city boy that's just like in over his head, but like. This is just an insight where he develops that character the whole time of him. Like, he keeps getting closer and closer to actually, like, having someone love him. And he keeps ruining it because they don't, like, he doesn't think he deserves to be happy. And, like, yeah, it's it's all that. It, the only character he doesn't really develop is Sue because he hates women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it, it's it's worth saying, like, one of our complaints with Stan Lee is that he writes too much. And I still think he does that here, but yes. the writing is the writing is still good. I think like when when Ben is is storming away when they don't believe him, like he like I thought the writing there was really good. Where he's like, oh, "What do I care? It's your funeral. It'll teach you a lesson for once." Like you can see his anger in always being. See, I, oh, you don't think that's good? No, I feel like it's so strange to go from like the DC Imagine stuff was like so bad. Where I'm like, I think it's all roughly the same quality of writing for me. I don't well, think so. I, I don't I, think so at all. Yeah, I I think uh, DC Imagines like it feels like a f- what fifth grader wrote it. Like it's like there's a comic called Axe Cop, which is like a little child. I love uh, Axe Cop. Uh, it's like a story. Do you mean X like, oh. Grave? <laughs> <laughs> but if, imagine like X Grave Daryl story. Like if somebody made an actual like legit comic out of that, like with like Jimmy drawing it. Axe Cop is a, a a professional artist's like two year old or five year old brother or something. Writes he writes the scripts and it's just like I'm Axe Cop. I have an axe. I'm gonna kill all the criminals. Yeah, uh, like I feel like that just like just imagine the writing feels like that. It's not that bad, like that disparate. This is not that bad, but uh, it is still like it's so simplistic. Like the character work is so simplistic. Like the dialogue is so simplistic. This this does over explain stuff, but like it's still uh, the character. I can, everyone has a clear voice. Like and they, they have emotions that come out yeah. in the writing. Yeah, yeah. Like well, the biggest thing is, is that everyone has a clear voice. Like, if you hear Ben Grimm talking, you tell it's Ben Grimm talking. Like that's see, the biggest thing. Like you say those things, and I felt that same way about the DC stuff. That you could, you could see the emotion coming out and like the writing, and that some of the people I will, had I will fight you on that. Like the like the first like three pages with the with the wife's dying or the mom's dying, they're just like I'm so mad now. I'll be stoic. There's no emotion there whatsoever. Every every emotional scene is sucked out of. It's like a little child doesn't know, who doesn't know what these emotions are supposed to feel like trying to write it because they saw a movie. Uh, where these emotions happen, like oh, he saw a movie where someone's wife dies, and now he writes what he thinks a stoic person would do in reaction to that. But it's it's it, they don't feel real. Now these moments feel real, and you don't feel uh, attached to the characters whatsoever. Hmm. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree, but I, I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly why right now. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to uh, really clarify uh, the differences, but because the same writer and a lot of same traits, but like. It, mm-hmm. the, I know personally, I'm more forgiving for overwritten dialogue, just subconsciously, when it's 
an older style comic book. Like yeah, when I too. see the older like sixties style, I like just naturally I think suspend more of my disbelief. Where when I see modern inking and modern coloring, it seems more tonally jarring to me. Yeah, that's possible. That's that's part of it too. Yeah, speaking of like this this next Spider Man story we're gonna get into, at least this first issue is uh, like awfully overwrought with the same dialogue over and over and over again. It was driving me nuts when I was reading it. So now this is written right about the same time. This is late 65 into early 66. We're doing Amazing Spider-Man 31 through 33 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. This is If This Be My Destiny. Yeah, so If Be My Destiny still opens up with uh, Stan Lee. uh, Stan Lee. Uh, it's written by Stanley and Steve Ditko, by the way. So it opens with um, Spider-Man uh, fighting gas masks, purple dudes, trying to thwart a robbery at the pier. And are, the, these purple dudes are all saying they work for the master planner. So much they say that. They're like, we <laughs> shall do as the master planner orders. <laughs> yeah. It's because it's trying to build up like the, I wonder who he is. I think they've been referencing the master planner for a couple of issues up to this point. Mm. If I recall. But- yeah, so uh, they uh, Spider-Man like uh, fights him on their helicopter, escape helicopter, but he gets gassed. Yeah, and he's still <laughs> fighting them as as they're gassing him. He's just really. I love how they, none of these guys have actual guns; like they only have gas. So when it, when like when it doesn't work, they're just like shoot more Spray gas. More. <laughs> I, th- I think it might be because of comics code. I think they weren't allowed yeah. to have guns. Uh, like, no. th- this was the era where comics had to be for babies. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the helicopter crashes, uh, but they have an underwater base, so they swim away while Spider-Man's unaware. Well, even this, but Spider-Man finds out because he goes, I know they're like henchmen and they're robbers, but I can't let them die. And he swims back down to the helicopter and they're gone. So he goes back home and he has to prepare for college because this was like right after Peter graduated high school and he's going to college. Which which I, I just want to say is a cool thing to have happen. Being like, hey, he's not perpetually in high school. Like, he has to move he fin- on. He's only in high school for like 25 issues. Mm. Yeah. And um, that's one one other thing what St- Stanley did. Like, he got re married. He got Peter to graduate uh, mm. high school. Like, he actually has characters to grow up, uh, which no one at the time did. Like Yeah, instead of, of like the Superman Lois Lane, like, will they or won't they for like 40 years? <laughs> yeah. People still don't do that. <laughs> there's more character development like in Stanley's era in Marvel than like mo- like they keep regressing Peter to this to like Stanley status quo. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, like now everyone's like everyone, Peter has to be in high school. That's the true Peter Parker. <laughs> so he goes to orientation, and when he gets home again, uh, Amy passes out, and Peter calls the doctor, who sends her to a hospital. Uh, and during his first day of school, this is also the first appearance of Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborn. Oh, is so, it the first yeah, appearance? Yeah. Yeah, the very first appearance. And this is why this is why I love Spider-Man. Like, I'm going to just fucking say it right now. So, like, Peter's uh, supporting cast this time was just J. Jonah Jameson, Betty Brandt, who was J. Jonah Jameson's secretary. All she is in the movies and, like, most media is just J. Jonah Jameson's secretary. But in the comics, she was Peter Parker's first love interest. She was an old woman that Peter Parker fell in love with. And another character was uh, Foswell, a former uh, villain who Peter Parker, uh, Spider-Man, busted. And uh, beca- after he came out of prison... Foswell became uh, like J. Jordan Jameson's underground snitch kind of guy as, as Patch. These characters never appear in anything. And Flash Thompson, his bully. Yeah, and Flash Thompson is also a minor character in movies and stuff. And that just shows you how diverse Peter Parker's like stories are. Like It took him until now to get the iconic characters that everyone knows. And he had like 25 issues with great characters that were memorable. He had, Peter, Peter Parker as a character such a surplus of great supporting characters and yeah. so many great ongoing stories that he can like discard them. Uh, characters that it feels like Batman. Batman will kill to have supporting characters this good. <laughs> but, but like, uh, uh, what about Peter Alfred? Parker, huh? Uh, checkmate. 
And I think the argument there is that with Batman, if you get rid of any any of the supporting characters, it leaves a hole. Whereas Peter Parker has such a great ensemble cast that yeah. you can pick and choose for movies. Yeah, and like uh, it shows how Peter c- can live in different contexts, like like real real people do. Like he mm-hmm. goes to G- uh, the Daily Bugle, and he's people treat him differently there than they do at, at college. And yeah. here at college, everything is an asshole because he's so distraught over Aunt May. But wait, can I just say how much this college depiction looks like high school? Like they're like <laughs> they're like really like in a high school setting. It seems like where it's like the jocks are like, "Hey, you nerd!" and bullying him. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> I, like, I, I don't think this happens in college. Well, for or... for what it's worth, the jock that starts bullying him is also there for orientation and it's yeah. his high school bully yeah. where he's like hey flash and he's like fuck you peter parker yeah, it's just stanley and his love for bullies in these stories oh but i have to clarify because that's a really good point so phil is right uh, and kind of wrong because what happens is flash thompson who's peter parker's high school bully is going to the same college as him and uh, he goes to harry osborne harry osborne said who's that cool guy peter parker over there that hip cat whatever and uh, flash Thompson's like no he's a dork and then uh, basically, through Peter's actions, like Harry Osborn was willing, as a cool kid, was willing to hang out with Peter. But through Peter's actions, uh, Harry's like, Flash was right, he's a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, to me, it seems like there's a mingling of nerds and jocks, but P- through Peter's actions, he gets uh, moved from this. Yeah, because Harry, Harry's not a jock. <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah, Harry's right. not a jock. Yeah, he's not yeah, a jock. But, but it, hanging, it's more like in college, do people go to the science, like the lab, and start, like, this is also the first day of college. This is the closest to high school you could get That's in true. college. That's true. I also another thing to toss out just to show my little Spider-Man. Uh, they have like uh, Harry's like d- dicking around, like so pissed off at Peter that he sabotages his science experiment. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Peter, because the reason why Peter's so distracted is because like he's had no sleep, and uh, he's trying to focus so much on just doing getting through the day. That it, it, no, he, it's really his mind's on Aunt May because every time it shows like a word bubble, it's him thinking about something about Aunt May, like that she's done so much and that he yeah. needs to go see her, but he also needs to focus. Yes, and so what happens is Harry, uh, Harry and Gwen set up a thing where they sabotage Peter's ex- uh, science experiment, and see Peter's science teacher, Doctor Warren, shows up and he says, "Hey, Peter, you fo- you uh, do the experiment you're supposed to. That's not making all these uh, radical Doctor Frankenstein experiments and breaking our equipment." And I just want to bring it up that Doctor Warren, this guy, becomes oh my god, uh, so I don't even please. No, 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 what? <laughs> he becomes a supervillain called the Jackal. He goes insane. And- oh my god. <laughs> He's the one that gives Peter a thousand clones. Yes. Oh. I, I, I bring it up. I bring it up because only comics do this. It's the only medium where you have a, a minor character just show up randomly in the, in the panel, and he becomes a character later on. Because I, I was gonna say how funny it is that like it starts with like the three people like um, talking about him in college, and it's like okay, you have Gwen Stacy, his love interest later on, and then you have one guy that becomes the Green Goblin, and the other guy that becomes Venom. <laughs> It's Wait, just funny that there's just Flash no... Thompson becomes oh, Flash Thompson does become better. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. just no one that's like, I will never become a super a villain. Super villain. Or, yeah. Well, that's, that's that's one that's one problem with comics. Is eventually, they get they do too much of that. But like, yeah, it's because they forever. always want to be able to use the old name. So they're like, yep. we need a villain. What if it was this the the cashier who gave Peter his cash <laughs> back then? But yeah. but but, but uh, the way they did at least. Uh, the Harry Flash Thompson was a military marine, and the military got the symbiote, and they gave the Venom symbiote to Flash. That Thompson. also happened it's, like four. No, but it's years more later. like it's more like the the coincidence that all these people that know each other all happen to get mm-hmm. these these powers. You know, oh, or yeah, is yeah. it that by associating yourself with a superhero, you get wrapped up oh into a larger God. narrative? No. <laughs> if it was, that would be cool. But I don't. I think it's like the lightning thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, and that's one, one problem with like uh, modern comics is I think modern comics should have more regular people, and I don't think I they agree. Do. I mm-hmm. agree. So yeah, all of Spider-Man's friends. 
that will eventually become his friends keep like inviting him places and he's like fuck you I'm leaving bye yeah they actually they, they're not that bad bullies like they, they they pull a prank on him but then afterwards they're like we should invite him out for coke they're gonna do some cocaine and <laughs> uh and they really do try to like go out and hang out with him after but then he keeps ignoring them and they're like wow he's really so self-centered he doesn't care about other people and eventually the whole college starts talking about how much of an asshole he is. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Phil's joking. I mean, like, Coke's, like, back in the old days getting a Coke with the gal. And mm-hmm. also, um, they do keep giving him every opportunity. He keeps, like, brushing them off. And yeah. it's like, he's just so preoccupied with MA. And he's even like, I need to go make money to pay for the medical bills. So I'm going to go take pictures of Spider-Man uh, fighting crime. But he can't find any crimes. And he's like, damn, I wish people were getting mugged. Yeah, so uh, then uh, uh, pa- uh, Foswell, a.k.a. Patches... Um, is uh, on the streets like he hears uh, through the down low that this, uh, basically a heist is going, ha- going down but he doesn't know how to go with the information so he goes to Spider-Man and Spider-Man goes and busts up the heist and that leads and so he beats, beats up that heist but goes, in, goes into number 32 where we find out after all this build up over who's mas- the master plan they just reveal it, like on the first page like it's Doctor Octopus <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, one thing that's interesting though is to us this might sound trite but like Doc Ock is still a relatively newish character at this point because so is Spider-Man yeah. Like, how many Doc Ock stories were here before this? Three or four, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if this was his reveal, because I'm like, okay, underwater base, Dr. Octopus, that makes sense. Yeah. But that's no. Actually, I, didn't, I didn't think about that. That's, probably, that's, that's actually really clever, uh, if that's what the uh, goal was. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Doctor, Dr. Octopus, this is, like, one of the best, like, Dr. Octopus stories, by the way. Like, it really put him on the more higher level of importance like he was this guy running, running his crime speed for uh, issues and issues and, and it's worth noting that I, I you know master planner is kind of a stupid name and like you know he does, he's actually not that great of a planner but he in all these heists they are like pretty well orchestrated like he obviously has some kind of brain he's not just like go fight like yeah know. Yeah, like we said, like he has a helicopter, but they as as the helicopter's crashing, they're basically uh, while Spider-Man and Plantation, they're having the the scuba teams go pick them up. Yeah, well, well, and like it is pretty well organized. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so uh, just to briefly mention the Betty Brandt stuff, uh, Betty Brandt, her her uh, brother was killed by mobsters. He was a mobster and got killed by mobsters. So this is right at the time where her relationship with Peter started breaking apart because uh, Spider-Man failed to save her brother from mobsters and also. Spider-Man was a violent life himself, and she started dating Peter Parker because she thought he was a nerdy, uh, boring dork that she could like settle down with, and that he'd stay Peter, out of trouble. Yeah. So, but yeah. but Peter, so like now Peter is like act like a dick to, dick to her on purpose because he wants to push her away from him and not hurt her. Well, because like if she finds out he's Spider-Man, all she's gonna do is like now she knows he's Spider-Man and she's not gonna be with him probably anyway. So why even tell her? Just make her leave him anyway. And so she basically uh, pushes her away and acts like a dick to her uh, future fiance. Yeah, he really, he really acts like a piece of shit to her. And like the whole time he's thinking to himself, like, this is where I think the overwriting works for me because he's yelling like mean things to her at the same time we see his inner monologue that's like, I hate to do this, like this breaks my heart, but it's the only way to keep her safe. Yeah. And at meanwhile, right after that, he like storms out and he's like really like defeated about it. And then he goes to the hospital to visit Aunt May and they find out that she's dying from radioactive poisoning from a blood transfusion that Peter gave her. Oh, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, Mary Jane all over again. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, radioactive cum. Yeah, but, but yeah, uh, so she's dying because of his radioactive blood, and that's important because now it's it's tied to St- uh, Peter Parker's guilt over Uncle Ben because Uncle Ben died because of his inaction, and now he says now Emma's gonna die because because uh, uh, of me. 
And like the two people in my life that like I cared about, like of all my powers, I couldn't save either of them. I, and now it's gonna happen again. I can't stop it. So he goes uh, crazy trying to find a way to see if he could cure. Her. And he goes to Dr. Connors. And now, sorry for all this backstory, but that's this is why I think this story is really cool. He goes to meet Dr. Connors, who, if you watch the movies, he was his professor in the movies. But in the comics, he was the lizard. Oh, no, he was the lizard in the uh, reboot, too. Yeah. yeah the, the, oh, the, I yeah. didn't know that either. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't in, know who any of these people were. <laughs> in the, and so uh, this was the former... Th- he was the lizard, and Spider-Man cured him. And now he became kind of like a character uh, Peter would uh, call upon for science help every once in a while. Which I, I was thinking about how sad it is, because like he eventually turns into the lizard later, yes. right? Like, well, people... he was already the lizard at this point. Yes. But, but I mean, was... like, right here, he turned into, like, a good man after this. Which I was like, oh, this is cool, because you see so infrequently villains turn good guys, like Patches, or whoever. Uh, the Vegeta. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if you want yeah. to go really, really sad, well, what happens eventually is... He takes on the full traits of a lizard and he eats his family. Oh my! Oh <laughs> yeah. no! Is that before or after the radioactive cum? That's after. Yeah. Come Was out. that when Mark Millar got a hold of Spider-Man? <laughs> so, but even even this, like, even if you don't know that he's the lizard, he's still he's he's got one arm and he's like I he's like you were there for me when I needed you, Spider-Man. I'll do anything I can to help your friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, like, especially when you were talking about, like, villains or, like, 0 to 100. He was a villain. He was the lizard at this point. But Spider-Man saved him, and now he's trying to redeem himself. And he's like, you were there for me. I will be there for you. And that's a much more fleshed-out character than, like, any villain at this point. Yeah. So, uh, Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker has to give up his lab equipment, uh, all of his lab equipment in order to pay for uh, Dr. Condor's uh, This battle, like, broke my heart. He's selling his his microscope, he's selling all his stuff to a pawn shop yeah. so he could afford medicine. If only we had universal healthcare. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, so, uh, Condor's is like, okay, we have a, this potential thing that could uh, help her, this ISO, whatever the fuck, ISO 36. And uh, I need to order it because it's, it's a very special order, but and it costs a lot of money, so Peter has to do all this to get the money. And Dr. Octopus finds out that ISO 36 is coming into New York. He's like, I gotta steal it. So he stages a heist to steal it from the, the escort. I love that the heist is the goons come up, they punch this guy in the back of the head, just grab his thing and run away. I also love how Peter Parker is like looking for where they have the isotope. And he spends so much time, like, beating up people trying to get information, going crazy, and he just finds it himself. Like, no one helps him. <laughs> well, a lot of the story is Peter just desperately, like, beating up anyone that's in his way. Yeah, I think that's just to show that Peter's desperation. Like, uh, yeah. this, is, this is not usually how he acts. Like, uh, and people say, like, he's, he's, he's fucking crazy. Like, he's smashing buildings and stuff. Yeah, he just busts into, like, these places where gangsters hang out, and he just starts throwing cars and stuff, and they're like, holy fuck, what is happening? And while, but while this is happening, we're intercut with scenes of Aunt May slipping into a coma, and the doctor's saying it's getting worse, and like I think this is really well paced. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. But yeah, he, he does find the thing on his own. He finds a, uh, a abandoned warehouse and a secret panel under the floor. He fights all of the master planner's goons, and he finds a secret tunnel leading to the underground, the, uh, the underwater portion of the base. And that's where he finally meets uh, Doctor Octopus. And uh, Doctor Octopus is like, "Oh, only I could have orchestrated this plan, Spider Man." And they start fighting again. His rage, his rage really comes through in all these panels. I feel yeah. like, like, yeah. like Doctor Octopus is doing his like typical supervillain thing. He's like, "Yes, I'm so smart. I'm taking nuclear stuff." And he's like, "I'm gonna fucking kill you to save Aunt May." <laughs> yeah. And then at some point, Doctor Octopus is like. I have to get out of here. Yeah, he's like, I never saw him fight like that. He's like a tiger, and Peter's just smashing the surroundings. And that's what eventually causes his downfall because he breaks the pillars and the whole roof starts coming down on both of them. And they're, this, they're in an underwater base. So yes. It's just, yeah. The roof starts caving in on them, and a giant metallic structure collapses onto Peter. A giant machine? 
giant machine. Yeah. A Ditko <laughs> machine. Yeah, and uh, basically Peter is like, uh, he's already trapped in the rubble as the machine's coming down on him, so all he, ha- all he can do is contort himself so he doesn't completely crush his head fully. But now he's completely stuck between all this rubble and his giant machine now, as the roof is leaking water, and the isotope is just out of reach, and he's not thinking, like, I, I failed. Like, I can't I can't lift this giant, huge-ass machine off me and this rubble. I can't do it. Uh, uh, I just uh, And he's thinking to himself, like, I haven't slept for for literally days, and I'm 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 out of it. Like I've been on the rampage, and I, I'm just I have no more energy in it. And it comes to all everything's going on. Doctor Khan is waiting for the isotope, and may dying in the hospital, saying and basically it's like, oh, what will happen? Will Peter be able to get out of here? Like, what's going to happen? And, and she's think, the, as she goes into the coma, the last thing she says is Peter. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, this is one of the uh, best like '60s like cliffhangers ever, leading into the final chapter, issue thirty-three. So, uh, not to get ahead of my judgment of this, but I think this is my favorite Spider-Man issue of all time. <laughs> it, well, you're not the only one that thinks that way. Yeah. <laughs> this gets referenced in Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, if yeah. you, you will see in a second. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> so, it s- starts with him buried under the rubble as the water floods the room. And I just want to read his dialogue. So, well, I guess it's a monologue. So... At, he sees the serum just out of reach and goes, I failed just now when I counted the most, I failed, but I can't give up. I must keep trying. I must. I've got to try to free myself no matter how impossible it seems. And lifting is the only way, the only way. Ugh, I can't. So exhausted after all that fighting. I feel so weak. It's lying there just beyond reach as though mocking me, taunting me. And then the ghosts of Aunt May and Uncle Ben, like their heads mm-hmm. just appear before him. It's the one thing, the only thing that may save Aunt May, and I can't bring it to her. If she doesn't make it, it'll be my fault. Just the way I'll always blame myself for what happened to Uncle Ben. The two people in all the world who've been kindest to me. I can't fail again. It can't happen a second time. I won't let it. I won't. No matter what the odds, no matter what the cost, I'll get that serum to Aunt May, and maybe then I'll no longer be haunted by the memory of Uncle Ben. Within my body is the strength of many men, and now I've got to call on all that strength, all the power that I possess. As is happening, he starts lifting the machine, Yes. And the panels start very small, and they start getting wider and wider as he starts more and more strength. Yeah, and they're taking up more and more of the page. I must prove equal to the task. I must be worthy of that strength, or else I don't deserve it. The weight is unbearable. Every muscle aches. My head, it's spinning. Everything beginning to whirl around the strain. It's it's unbearable. And, I, and we see the ceiling cracking. And, oh, the crack in the ceiling, it's growing wider, getting bitter every second. I'll never make it. I can't. No, I dare not give up now. If I close my eyes, I'll go under. Must stay awake. Must clear my head. Keep trying, trying. I'll do it, Aunt May. I won't fail you. No matter what, I won't fail. Anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. It's when the going's tough, when there seems to be no chance. That's when it counts. Everything going black. My head aching. Hold on. I must hold on. It's moving. Can't stop now. Last chance. Must keep the momentum more. Just a little more. And he throws the machine off him. I did it. I'm free. In a full page. Full page, yes. If you like that scene, Ryan, there's the show, Gurren Logan is basically that scene <laughs> in show form. Like, I'm not kidding. Yeah. So, uh, I, I would, if, if you like that style, that show is definitely worth watching. Oh, it's so good. It's it so is, good. It is very much that, but that's what, what makes the scene so cool. It's like, like if you know, like, there's one thing that makes it more interesting than like this Superman or even if like uh, any other character was in the situation, because Spider Man is really strong. But, like, not lift a giant machine, like, uh, yeah. off of himself strong. So like, this is like yeah. a mother, like, lifting a car to save her child's strength yeah. here. It's not, like, normal. Yeah. 
And then, like, on his way out, he, you know, he has the isotope and a bunch of, like, a dozen, like, henchmen jump on him. And you mentioned first that, like, he's so tired, like, he's taking every chance to get any rest. The water, when the water starts coming in, he basically goes to the current saying, I, I gotta use this current just to get myself yeah. some rest. I'm, and when I'm, they start beating him up, he lays there and lets them beat him so he can get some energy back. Like, yeah. he's just like, I'm probably the first person to ever let himself get beat up to, to regain energy. Yeah. yeah, and the thing that I love about the scene is it's like close-ups on him and he's like, I'm not gonna fall, I'm not, I'm not, Aunt May's counting on me, a man may lose, a man may defeat, but I won't give up, I won't, I won't, I won't. And then it zooms out and everyone's unconscious and he's just like dizzy and swinging punches anyway. Yeah, yeah. It is pretty cool. And then he like stumbles, he stumbles out and he somehow makes it to Dr. Connors and like every panel it looks like he's about to just pass He like broke out. his leg or something or he keeps yeah. saying my, my bones aren't broken but uh, his bones are fucking broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he makes it to the hospital with the serum that he even tested on his own blood first and he delivers the serum to Aunt May. She wakes up. He gives the story to Foswell outside, sells J. Jonah Jameson all the pictures but what we should mention really quickly that uh, G. George Jameson, because like he's very confident, saying, "I want two hundred dollars for each picture, uh, for each picture, or else I'm not doing it." And uh, G. George Jameson is like, "What's what's with Peter now? He's such a milk toast." And <laughs> he literally calls him milk toast. <laughs> yes, and Peter also goes to Betty Brand, and he's basically just like, "I, I also, I, I'm here." I have a violent lifestyle. I had to fight people to get these pictures. I'm sorry, Betty. And Betty's basically like, I, 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 she basically like, I lost him. Like, I can't live. And she basically freaks out over this. So it's like the end of Peter and, and Betty's relationship here too. Like in the middle of this other story, you end this other story arc. Yeah. And he's he's alongside Aunt May as she wakes up, and she's like, everyone's so happy. She made this miraculous recovery. And then as he as he walks away to let her get some rest. She falls back asleep and she has a big smile on her face and they see Spider-Man, Peter Parker walking away happy outside the window. It's like one of the only Spider-Man issues that ends happy. It, it's not yeah. just like they wa- walks away happy. I think there's a bittersweet irony to it in that the doctor's like, Peter Parker's a nice boy. He's sincere, well-mannered, devoted to his aunt. And he's like, why can't more people look up to him and not Spider-Man, who's a reckless mm. thrill seeker? Which I think yeah. is like, that's a really interesting idea. Because it's like the normal people are better than the superheroes really as characters, but it's also showing you that the superheroes are normal people beneath all of their powers. Yeah, because the superheroes who saved Aunt May, it's not yeah. Peter Parker. You That's know? true. Or, or, I mean, you know, they're, they're, born, they're one and the same. Yeah, yeah, but... Spoilers! That's the dichotomy. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Parker's better, man. What? Man. All right, so now uh, let's get into uh, one of the few really good standalone uh, Stanley stories. Silver Surfer, number five. Yeah, and who shall mourn for him from April 1969? Yeah, this was a great we, issue. We, we get some great Stanley in here where it starts with the Fantastic Four, like the alarms going off, and the things in the shower. He's asking, "Hey, Stretcher, ain't that the alarm bell?" And he's like, <laughs> "Reed Richards is like, you're right, Ben." And there's like the side blurb that's like, "No true believer, we didn't put a wrong cover on the Fantastic Four magazine." Like, only you'll realize what they have to do with the story. Yeah, very Stanley-style editor's notes. Like, the war Oh, and for what it's worth, this is John Buscema, Mm -hmm. who we mentioned before. He did the... Which one? He did the Batman one? The Superman one. He uh, he did the Superman one of the Just Imagines with Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And also, we should mention, the reason why, uh, like, Jack Kirby created, basically created the Silver Surfer we know now. Stanley picked John Buscema, like, he basically... And he also made a rule saying only he could write Silver Surfer. So he basically stole... 
uh, Jack Kirby's creation in a way, but uh, which is probably why Jack Kirby hates him. But um, <laughs> but the reason why he did it was because he wanted uh, someone like John Buscema who he felt could capture Silver Surfer's humanity more. And Steve Buscemi, and, right? Steve Steve and, this, and one thing very important about uh, his Silver Surfer one is every almost every page of Silver Surfer's uh, Stanley Silver Surfer he looks like he's in fucking agony because he's, he's so <laughs> uh, sad over the fact he's trapped on Earth with all these monkeys around him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really like um, John Buscema's art here, and I was actually surprised to recall that he did the Superman stuff because I was like, <laughs> he was much better back then, much like Stanley. <laughs> I think a lot of like '60s artists. I I don't think they're helped. First of all, I don't think they're helped by modern coloring. I think modern coloring com- com- competes mm. with their inking a lot. But yeah. also, a lot of them just get older, and you know, but like uh, a good example is Gene Cole. Like if you see a lot of his later stuff, like he's like can barely see by t- by the time he yeah. uh, uh, passed away. So like you know, you just get older, and your eyesight goes away, and your hands like get less dexterous. So like it happens. Hmm. Mm. So what happens here is Silver Surfer comes through, and he steals a space scrambler and what he's trying to do is he's basically locked into like our solar system and he can't get out so he flies to the edge where a barrier is and he's trying to blast it because he just he wants to leave and surf through space yeah because Gractus punched him uh, and trapped him on earth yep instead Reed's space scrambler blows up and he like for a brief moment he thinks that he sees Shalabal who's his beloved his his love um, from uh, back from his own planet so and and that's one thing that happens a lot in Stanley's run is every issue is him saying, I wish I had my, my love here, and mm. it's him pining for her. And it's like, thankfully, it's the only bit of that we get here. <laughs> yeah. So he, he passes out, and he wakes up inside of this man's house, who is Albie Harper. He's a black uh, physicist. Yeah. And he's basically lets him know that he can try and help research how to break this the, the barrier, but it's going to need a lot, like, a lot of money, obviously, because he's going to need, like, a lot of equipment and stuff. Yeah. When the space scrambler exploded and Silver Surfer fell to Earth, he found him and brought him home and like cared for him. Yeah, yeah, Al Harper did, and so yeah. so uh, the Silver Surfer's like, you know what? It, uh, if it's money you need, I'll go get it. And this is where I was like, okay, he's gonna clearly go rob someone. Yeah, something. me too. I'm like, okay, you're Silver Surfer. You just <laughs> yeah. go to the bank and take the money. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so uh, he's walking around. And in disguise, he gets a disguise uh, like so. He's like his trench coat and hat, and he's like, but he still has a white face. Yeah, so. yeah. Basically, a guy who's literally silver walking in. He's like, well, he has a hat <laughs> yeah. and trench coat. This is a normal man. Well, it's not like the disguise fools anybody. Which, I, I, I liked a lot of this, like this part of the issue, a lot because I'm I'm always so much more down to like take superheroes or supervillains and put them in like normal situations. I just want to see what like they're thinking from time to time, like how they interact yeah. with normal people. Because a girl drops a doll and he gives it to her, and the mother's afraid. She says, "That strange white face, come along, Sally." And then Surfer thinks to himself, "Poor pathetic creatures, so riddled with fear, with gnawing disgust. What monumental irony that they who rule a planet." should be so insecure and I, I, I just like seeing it in what ways he's like very condescending to all of humanity it's, it's also very important to uh, for context so al harper talks about how like people kind of mock him don't take him seriously that people don't take al harper seriously yeah al harper seriously yeah. but it's important because silver surfer is in his series this whole series about how he's, he's an outsider among humanity no one trusts him because he's basically this god being on earth mm-hmm. like the military fears him and like every other story like uh, this Stanley kind of goes overboard. Like Silver Surfer never gets any su- supporting cast members. Everyone he meets always dies or something bad happens to them. <laughs> Everyone like he what always happens is, is his villains find a way to make him look like the bad guy. Like his first villains were a, a group of invisible aliens, 
and they're they're invading uh, Manhattan. So Superman has to, has to fight them and stop their ships, but they're invisible. So it looks like Silver Surfer's blowing up Manhattan, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh my God, Silver Surfer's a fucking terrorist!" <laughs> and then another story was. Uh, he meets a Frankenstein's heir, and the Frankenstein's heir wants to recreate Silver Surfer. So he creates a Silver Surfer clone, and Silver Surfer's clone <laughs> tries to take over the world. And everyone's yeah. like, "Wow, Silver so is like the worst person ever! Like, you have to kill a Silver Surfer." <laughs> I mean, all, I think even if he wasn't doing that stuff, a guy flying around on a surfboard who could just blow shit up with his mind or whatever, yeah. like I think the world would fear him. Also, he was the herald of the World Eater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think everyone would actually fear him and hate him with good reason. Like, or maybe not hate with good reason, but like, how could you not? have this one guy not who can kill everyone like how would you not fear him yeah 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 so <laughs> so this one guy with all this power that everyone should fear goes to the employment agency because he's unemployed yeah. <laughs> and he looks to go get a job and gets yelled at for not having references social security card a home address and or not be part of union <laughs> it, yeah it has a montage where it's just people different employers like denying him because it's like you you can't do like anything you obviously can't work here look at you and so yeah. that's why he decides it's nighttime. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to get that money. I'm just going to go pursue the most obvious course. And this is when he starts doing... I I, I don't know what Silver Surfer's power is. So I was just watching this. And he has cosmic... He's the power cosmic. He has cosmic everything. So he's like, yeah. a simple cosmic spark will gain entrance. A cosmic touch can open any door. And then he <laughs> can use cosmic haze on people to make them forget. Like, he starts stealing all this money. And then he's like, you know what? I'm... I'm, I'm I am so driven by despair that I would steal what is not mine to escape the mad unthinking humans. Must I descend to their own lawless level? And a cop shows up and he's like, go to sleep. You you don't, you forgot everything that happened here. And he returns the money. Silver Surfer says to the cop, the cop doesn't say a Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer says to the cop, go to sleep. You saw nothing. And yeah, uh, yeah Power Cosmic, as Brian calls it, is basically space magic. Like, I don't yeah. call it that. Stan Lee calls it that. <laughs> I, 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 no. yeah, well, as he called it, you called it in that particular Quote Ryan Lynch, Jack Kirby sucks and he also <laughs> He also coined the term power cosmic. <laughs> and it's, it's just that it's a funny ability because it's like cosmic everything. It reminds me of the yeah. bonus episode we did with superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. So he hears howling and it's this man that got beat up in an alley. And he asks him what's wrong. And he says, my wife, she can't pay the doctor bills. And I swore off gambling. But now that I need to pay the bills, I had to go back and gamble. And it was like it was a crooked house. The dice were fixed. And they basically were trying to um, squeeze him out of his money. And now, he, like, he can't pay back his loan. So Silver Surfer goes here. And, of course, he can just, like, cosmic roll the dice. <laughs> I, I do believe he can control, like, the, the molecules and stuff. Like, yeah. that's, that's how it works. So. Yeah, it's just, it's just funny. Everything's cosmic with him. Well, they see, unlike Silver Age, like Superman, Silver Surfer is, he's built as the super OP character intentionally so that he is always disconnected from this like backwoods planet that he's stuck on mm -hmm. yeah like he's supposed to view us all as ants and also very importantly very rarely is the threat to him physical like his problem is always like everyone hates him so like mm. yeah. he can he can his, his whole his whole thing is never how i beat this threat it's just that what will happen after i beat this threat basically yep speaking of it getting physical he takes all the money from the house and he goes out in an alley and a bunch of people like mobsters jump him and start beating him up to take the money and he back. lets them he's like yeah. i just want to see how savage humans yeah can it's be, like so i'm gonna let them <laughs> are they gonna try and kill me like is this really what they're gonna do <laughs> he said i have not resisted in order to learn the extent of their savagery and to think they call themselves human 
Yeah, and then the the guy that needs that's owed the money, the gambler comes out and the, tries the, to the, like, the bomb I first met. The guy got beaten up. Yeah, and then they try and hit him with their car, but Silver Surfer decides that's enough, and he stops it. He flings their car up in the air and slams it into the ground. And I like there's just one word bubble of they shall live for I did cushion their fall. When the last panels, the car's like crushed into like completely <laughs> flattened. <laughs> It's like yeah. Okay. I, will, I, I will say I always love the way Silver Surfer talks, especially when he gets his shit kicked out of him for a while, and then he finally gets mad. He says, "Since you believe not but force, then I shall show you force such as such as none you have ever seen." <laughs> and cool. even like I just there's so many little lines that really stand out to me that like is why I think Stanley's a good writer. It's like he gives the bum a bunch of money. And he's like, accept the share of the money which I have received. And he says, you're giving it to me for nothing? He goes, no, quite the contrary. I give it to you because you are a fellow being who is in need. And, like, that that's a good-ass line. <laughs> so after that, he hops onto his flying Some board. leaves. Yep, and he, he returns home to uh, Al Harper to give... Who only takes... Like four days to make this space machine. <laughs> yes, like, yeah. it's it's like minutes, which is hours, it's, even it's the, days. The stupid like comic thing of when you're a scientist, you can like literally create things the world has never seen before. Yeah, in in days, <laughs> without even a, a crew, without even having to have trouble getting equipment. Like yeah, it's just get, him in a cabin basically. Without even without even like uh, having prototypes. Yeah, he's a physicist and an engineer. That's what all scientists are. It reminded me when people were talking about Peter Parker, like he was mixing chemicals. It's like oh, he's a chemist, but no, he's like oh, I'm a scientist like that's what he's studying in college i'm a science yeah, yeah. And, and this guy specifically says i am a i specialize in in research yeah. and yet he's not he doesn't actually he can make anything <laughs> we joked about um uh pull yourself by your bootstraps but 60s uh stanley maybe even pre- probably i know a lot of super scientists before that too there's a very randy and superman kind of quality mm. of like uh, and it's very translated to the films where like tony stark and iron man two creators own element they're like human beings by themselves like even a, a crew of scientists <laughs> helping them they can create elements out of, yeah. no, out of nothing yeah. yeah so he creates this gun and he attaches it to silver surfer that will allow him to f- fool the gate into thinking wait that- wait we have made elements Right. That yeah. But, but, but Tony <laughs> yeah. Stark did it himself in like the course of like a, a, a yeah. A oh, yeah, we haven't just sat there to our own devices and been like, I'll make an element. Okay. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. <laughs> or a useful element. So uh, Silver Surfer takes this weapon that he has to power himself because he's a huge battery, and he starts going to trying to get through the barrier. And then this is where the story like turns in a weird direction for me because it becomes about this guy called the Stranger who basically, he had visited Earth before to see the X-Men, and he's yeah. like, he thought the Earthlings were so beneath them, he's like, they're just a scourge on the universe. If they end up going out into the solar system and, and explore space, they're going to pretty much poison it. They're a blight. So uh, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, yeah, this yeah, guy's yeah. actually <laughs> uh, the true hero of the story. <laughs> we, we, were, um, we, were, we were going to originally at one point do a series focused on the stranger because he's basically... Uh, humanity must die the story and it's all these different characters reacting to him so the first story was uh, uh, mutants they, mutants uh, was about the X-Men and Magneto was like mutants are the next stage of evolution then Stranger's like you guys suck uh, mutants are shit I'm the Stranger <laughs> fuck you and he just takes Magneto to, and teleports him away and then, <laughs> then, he, then he meets the Hulk and then he uses the Hulk as his engine of destruction 
Uh, now this story is more a direct moral battle. He's like, humanity's garbage. You know it's garbage. Let's kill it all. Like, uh, kill like a cancer. Stop, stop from spreading the universe. And Silver Surfer's like, no, this is good in humanity. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Strange and Stranger's like, uh, uh, fuck you, you're. Fool. It's basically like Ryan versus Sly here. When they I was together. just gonna say, if you if, if you want to know the behind the scenes of our other show, Oops, I Talk Politics, it's I'm Silver Surfer who's like, maybe humanity's the worst. And then the Stranger Sly comes over and he's like, humanity must die. And I'm like, wait, no, it's good. I I'm think. gonna use a null life bomb in it. Eliminate all life on it. Yeah, so he puts his bomb onto Earth and says, "Good luck finding it, asshole." I yeah. wish, and I wish you know, for such as like such a cosmic being that's so powerful who can just fly around the universe. I wish he didn't just look like a guy with a goatee and a mustache. Yeah. Like if he didn't look like such a human, it would make the it would make it have more weight. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. which is always the problem with like it, like uh, extraterrestrial threats and celestial beings is whenever they look like way too human when they're espousing non-human beliefs or or even superhuman beliefs. At least Silver Surfer like like is kind of weird like this guy literally is just a guy in space yeah i, I think man. i believe the stranger i believe the stranger came before galactus am i wrong yeah he yeah so he, he was like a really early jack kirby creation he debuted in x-men 11 that's pretty early yeah so like he uh, so like uh, jack kirby got more out there of his designs as time went on like even if you don't like new god stuff that's why i defend the new god stuff because at least feels it looks very alien this guy just looks like a superhero like it could be his own superhero like yeah. he's wearing like tights and stuff yeah yeah so like he, he doesn't even look sufficiently out there and I and I do and I do think the stranger is cool in a concept and design. Like uh, yeah. I always liked him as a char- as a foil for other characters, but his design kind of sucks. And in fact, the coolest he ever was was in his first appearance when everyone still thought he was a human being. And he reveals his costume, and he's like, "I have a red and green costume surprise." And that's when he's like, <laughs> "It's kind of lame." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Silver Surfer goes and he has to confront the stranger while he gets Al Harper. He's like, "Hey." Uh, you need to go find this bomb while I am busy talking to this guy. I do like it shows that Surfer's humanity, that he came back to Earth, that he turned away from the barrier. And he's yeah. like, I do want to save these people. Like, I don't hate them that much. It's important to know he doesn't tell Harper first uh, to go get the bomb right away. He says, so anyway, it could be under his plan. We have to get people to look for it. So he goes to like, the police, he goes to the FBI, he goes to the CIA. Everyone's like, you're fucking crazy. You think of I, I love how they talk to Al Harper and they're like, what, next you're going to say there's flying saucers? It's like, <laughs> they know about the Silver Surfer, right? Like, yeah. they, they know aliens yeah. exist. Yeah, it's it's Phil's old problem with people not believing in the supernatural and it, it's shown itself. Uh, for the record, we have a whole group of our population thinks the Earth is flat. I yeah. refuse to believe that any evidence will sway humanity anymore. <laughs> oh, by, by the way, oh yeah, but just to defend Ryan, uh, in the issue right before the Fantastic Four issue we just read, they actually revealed that J. Jones Jameson was writing a newspaper, fake news, hoax, uh, the Rothschilds were basically used that as holograms to make a state galaxy attack. Like, there was, there are Alex Jones types, aka but, J. But Jones every, Jameson. But the problem is that, like, it's like everyone in positions of power is always the Alex Jones type. Oh, uh, like, Phil, like, Phil. The police, the Phil. CIA, Trump, the Trump FBI won, are Trump all... won our election, Phil. <laughs> it could happen. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So, um, Al Harper starts going around and looking after taking a ride on Silver Surfer's board. And, uh... He makes his, like, bomb detector or something. It, it detects yeah. unearthly elements and a, bu- and a bunch of people are like, that bot, you know, this guy with a beeping thing on his chest is really... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know about that. Al Harper's by himself now. Like, Silver Surfer left him already. Yeah, because and... Silver Surfer's fighting the stranger, and then that's when they're having their conversation about, like, I think they should be saved. And he's like, no, I'll squash you, because... They suck. <laughs> yeah, and meanwhile, Al Harper is, like, rocking up a beeping thing, and people are like, what's that beeping thing? Are you a terrorist? Are you working with that alien, giant alien in, in the city all, right now? They all start to jump him. He starts to beat him up. He gets into a car and, like, starts driving away. 
And it's a very uh, Stanley thing where uh, every every person trying to do the selfless heroic thing has to get shit on by the uh, people. So yep. Al Harper is like this heroic man, and the people are fighting him, saying, "Stop trying to save us, you piece of shit! You fuck you!" Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think people would if some of those guys walking around they beating thing on his chest. <laughs> they would. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's weird that they, like they don't even call the cops. It's like I'm gonna take it upon myself to beat the shit out of him. The, the thing is, they go up to him and they're like, "What is that?" And he's like, "I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you." Yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't answer them. No, yeah. he does say it detects bombs from outer space. And yeah, and, 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 and uh, he, he, that's another thing. No one believed him. Like, he really waits everyone and no one believed him about the giant spaceman. And that's true. And yeah. believe he has a f- way to f- find the giant spaceman bomb. <laughs> so he does find it, and it's within a rock. He breaks the rock open, and he has to deactivate it. And the stranger revealed earlier to the Silver Surfer that when it gets deactivated, it there's a trap on it that will kill the person who deactivates it. So Al Harper deactivates it, uh, a vapor comes out, and basically kills him. And yeah. he can tell that it's tra- booby-trapped, but he keeps deactivating it anyway. I, yeah. I do like how he says, anything that can explode, I can disarm, because I'm science. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though it's Spaceman's bomb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he said, it's just not just a bomb at the end of the day. No, no but, but the stranger does intentionally make this bomb to test humanity. Is anyone altruistic enough to sacrifice does themselves? He? Does he? Yes. In a rock. He, he doesn't say that, though. He does. He says. It. He says. No, that's uh, it's he, kind of a mix of both. The fact that Al Harper does sacrifice himself does prove to Stranger that humanity is worth saving. Yeah, he, he didn't. He, if he wanted it as a test, he would put it in the middle of Manhattan or something. That's and say, true. Is anyone That's willing true. to kill themselves? Yes, yeah, so it was originally planned just to kill humanity, but the fact. Yeah, that he says the hidden bomb is neutralized. Okay, <laughs> fine, I was wrong. <laughs> okay, so you think Jack Kirby sucks? You uh, <laughs> you coined this shitty phrase, cosmic whatever. He thinks terrorists <laughs> plant bombs to test humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Especially hidden bombs. So anyway, the stranger's like, okay, I, I, I once again have misjudged the supremely savage yet strangely selfish human race. And he says, I'm going to leave you as I found you, Silver Surfer, and I, I will undo all the damage I wrought. And he leaves. I'm like, this guy's kind of just an asshole. If one yeah. person just needed to sacrifice them themselves for the human race it's really like a like a sodom and gomorrah thing here where he's like everyone's shit but this one guy (laughs) isn't shit so it's very much a sodom and gomorrah it's supposed to be uh awesome like first of all sodom and gomorrah proves that uh is we believe in humanity that godlike beings will do this like they will be so bombastic because broke broke proclamation saying this place, this, this civilization is so evil, no one will literally be good. Not a single yeah, it's proof by contrapositive. He says everyone's scum, and it's like, well, this one person's not scum, so therefore not everyone is scum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I would still have blown up humanity, I think. Cause I, like, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's like... Just you, be safe. You watch them beat the shit out of this nice guy. <laughs> yeah, like, like the other humans all hated the good guys, so maybe they do deserve to die. Anyway, the story uh, concludes with the people that were chasing Al suddenly forgot why they were doing all of this. And instead, they find a dead man's body and they bury it because they're like, man, he would have just lain there for months. I wonder what happened to him. The stranger basically undid all the damage he did. So Silver Surfer finds the, the buried body and he he feels sad that it's it, like Al's sacrifice goes unknown and unmourned. Because well, as the guy's leaving, he says, oh, what's the difference? We all got to go sooner or later. Who's going to care about one guy, more or less? Just one to guy, nobody. Okay. One, the, one of the random guys says it. Silver Surfer does not say that. Yes. And so Silver Surfer does say, what's the difference? One guy, we all got to go sooner or later. This guy <laughs> says that. And um, Silver Surfer decides to make a solemn tribute. So he makes an eternal pyre of flame that will burn forever as long as the earth endures which i thought was really cool it's one of those things like i wish i had known about it like like 
like that was within the marvel pantheon kind of a deal like a fire just in this one place that burns forever for a man that saved the world yeah i agree like i I wish this like i feel like people would come across this at some point and like worship it or something like the whole point that the, the whole point that they're making is that nobody gives a shit about this guy yeah like silver surfer pays this tribute to him but mm-hmm. like to everyone else, he's just a nobody. Yeah, no one gives a shit about him in life. No one gives a shit about him now. Even well, yeah, it's it's like it's like the, un- it's like the grave of the unknown forever. soldier. Yeah, it's still like something that you go to and like revere. But I it's feel, a metaphor, it's... guys. Okay, you got it. Whatever. <laughs> I, I think it's just silver silver surfer showing his own sim- uh, tribute. That no one else will notice, but it's his only way to give tribute. <laughs> it's to gonna it. burn forever. You gotta notice it. Yes, people will notice this. <laughs> it's a burning grave. I don't know, in the middle of nowhere. Maybe in, like, the year 20, uh, 2999, they can have a follow No, this is There's... a very popular place. This is so populated, this is where the stranger put his test for humanity. <laughs> there's a, there, no, there's, they buried him in a graveyard. Someone's going to go <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's someday. a graveyard. I thought it was the, the buried him when found it. But they do bury him in an unmarked grave. <laughs> yeah. So, that's Stan Lee. The, the best of his single-issue stories in the Spider-Man arc. Well, I mean, you know, everyone has their different takes, but that's what Sly and I said were the best. Yeah. Do you guys see a little bit more why Stanley is beloved? Mm-hmm. Yes. I really enjoyed these issues, yes. even though I already had read them, and I I enjoyed them back then too. I, I think these are <laughs> these are re- an example of like why comics can be good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I made mention of this before, like in our divisive issues chat, where I said I think I enjoy them about as much as the DC ones. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is like fucking blasphemy. I, I don't, I, I don't like, I don't like revere Stanley really, but yeah. I just feel like there's, I feel like these are such higher quality stories than the yeah, Disney. they they're, they are higher quality stories. The problem with me a lot of times, and I feel like this is with me in comics where I struggle with them, is it's the dot, it's the writing itself, and I do not appreciate Stanley as a writer because he is not visually evocative. Like when when Ryan was reading the whole segment about Spider Man lifting up the machine, it's like that's great, and none of it is I think evocative for me because it's not like flowery enough. Like I'm really into hmm. stuff that's a lot more like a prettier, like that it evokes some kind of image in your head when it's said. Like a lot of Engelhart stuff, um, hmm. it, like he can he can really like describe colors and emotions and feelings well whereas stanley states he's very explicit with what he's saying where it's like he was feeling despair he was feeling sad here and stanley is good he has a very um diverse vocabulary that he uses he doesn't use a lot of the same phrases a lot i mean other than when you know you're ben Grimm and you're like bub and bucko and that kind of stuff but everyone else has like he's he is a good writer i think i don't like his prose do you, th- do you think subject matter wise though uh, these are just as equally as interesting as the other ones, as the just imagine like plot versus dialogue. I, I yeah yeah like I I'd say I'd say these are better. These are more interesting. Like I I really the Silver Surfer story is my favorite one for like I do like the idea of like the the unmourned man and what he has to go through. Whereas like there's there's nothing good I can say about that Superman story. It, mm-hmm. It's hard for me because I think the novelty of the Superman story was like a lot more gripping to me than this story which felt like i knew all the story beats just starting it kind of a thing so you knew you you could expect that al hopper was going to die not that he was going to die but like as soon as it's like one man has to die to save the mom it's like okay it's al harper it's interesting because uh, maybe because i was reading this series at the time and i was so desperate for support at the time in 1969 (laughs) when i first read it sorry 
uh, 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 Stanley did this to, to the other support guys. Like, he, Surfer saves a woman from the aliens, the invisible aliens, and they mm. make you think that she's going to be his new supporting character, but she falls into the coma and she never shows up again. And so, like, uh, Stanley dicks you around several times. And I thought, like, uh, maybe because, like, I, I, since you, you, you don't know uh, if uh, Al Harper's going to be supporting character or not, like, it, it hit me mm. in a way I didn't think it would. I don't know. Especially, like, with what you were saying about Spider-Man, like, how he has supporting characters show up and leave, and, like, Stanley was always evolving his casts. Yeah, That's I, I, I agree. There is a level of unpredictability here that it more than, like, a lot of the, like, uh, other Silver Age stories that we read. I think that the DC, the, the, the reimagining of all this stuff, I had no goddamn idea where it was going. <laughs> well, that's fair. I, that's, I didn't have no idea either. One of the things yeah. that's interesting that I was thinking of while you were talking about Stanley's style and how like you he's so much more explicit and less flowery. Mm-hmm. That's I think why I really like him a lot because like there are certain lines that are very like he speaks in platitudes a lot where like a lot of his characters like this is about the nature of man and they mm-hmm. like explicitly state that. Mm-hmm. But for me like I feel yeah, it's, like it's like when you're reading through the Spider-Man thing he very explicitly states everything he's feeling yeah. and going through where it's like I need to save Aunt May because that way it makes me feel avenged for failing Uncle Ben. Yeah, and, like, as someone who's always, like, doing the pretentious postmodern, like, analysis of, like, this is what it really means, there's something that really resonates with me when there's just a character being like, hey, Brian, this is how I feel. You don't have to be pretentious (laughs) about it. This is it. And, like, I don't know, I feel like there's a nobility for his characters being, like, there's no beating around the bush. I am heroic for these reasons. And I think that's what made them archetypical characters where more, like, when you look at modern, more modern characters... I don't think that they stand the test of time or like the infamous nature that a lot of Stanley characters do because you know what Stanley characters are about right away and it like really hits me a lot. Yeah, they're very plain in their heroicness. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So sorry for talking too much in this episode, but it's a Stanley episode, so it's very appropriate that we do so. (laughs) (laughs) I am feeling this way because it makes me talk about comics. (laughs) Yeah. I like how even in the Spider-Man issue, he says, like, uh, he announces, good thing I have time to dodge out of this gas because they announced it before they did it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we will hit you with gas. And he's like, thank you for announcing it. Now I'll hold my breath. I'm holding my breath right now. It is good I hold my breath. Yeah. Really, really like, it is, it is pretty full of that. <laughs> yep. But I'm glad you guys appreciate Stanley a little bit more now, because I was really worried that you guys would hate these a lot. When uh, Daryl was like, I think this is just as good as uh, Just Imagine, I was like, ugh. I I remember I didn't say just as good. It's that I enjoyed them as much, I think, was my terminology. That's that's a key uh, qualifier. (laughs) No, I I understand the difference. But okay, so I think we've talked about Stanley enough. Yeah, get out of here, Stanley. (laughs) Who are you anyway? Yeah, what'd you do? (laughs) So we're we're done with uh, the June whatever. June Lee live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I do want to briefly mention the Flying Machine Network, which we are a part of. We mentioned it last week on Oops, but there is a new show on the network. And I know like we have a lot of overlap, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but you should check out the Potstirer podcast. It's all like politics and stuff and religion and all that stuff. But I want to specifically mention falling in love montage because it's the end of the month. And for this whole month, they've been doing pride. So they've been doing LGBTQIA plus films. And, you know, they've had a lot of great guests that speak with, you know, a lot of experience in these matters. And it's been a really great month of like lots of diverse films that I feel like don't get talked about a lot. 
And so, yeah, everyone should check that and all the other shows out at the Flying Machine Network website. And you should also, if you want bonus episodes from all the shows, donate to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Flying Machine. And we're recording this before CradleCon, but I'm going to preemptively thank people for coming to visit us. And if you didn't, well, now I'm sad. (laughs) Phil, do you have a a special podcast you guessed it on to plug? Uh, mm, uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, I was on, we'll get it right next year, a very interesting podcast where two <laughs> assholes uh, pretend that they don't, oh, they, they're not pretending, they don't know what this movie's about, and they try to figure it out through a series of uh, guests bringing on reviews. Um, You're going into so much detail for a show that I plug like once a month. <laughs> okay, well, in case people don't know, I was on it, and that makes it the best episode, so you should yes. check it out. That's yeah. That's it. It's called "We'll Get It Right Next Year." You guys yeah. don't know that yet. There's that's a link funny. on the Franz Radio website that has all our previous episodes. Uh, so thank you all for listening to Vice of Issues. I've been uh, trying to kill humanity. I've been finally accepting the death of Uncle Ben. I've been testing people by hiding a secret bomb in a rock. <laughs> and I've been so riddled with fear, with gnawing distrust. Stay in continuity. I give you the incredible. And we're recording this before CradleCon, but I'm going to preemptively thank people for coming to visit us. And if you didn't, well, now I'm sad. (laughs) Well, they knew it was going to happen. No one's going to come, and we're going to waste this thank you on... So, wait, if Phil and I aren't coming, are you still sad? Yeah. Okay. You you know, nothing makes me happier than when you two come. (laughs) My family listens to this show. Fine, I'll cut that out. <laughs> no, let, no, leave, it, leave in. it in. I, I want <laughs> them to know what you've done. Yeah. Okay. And, Keep uh, your shame here. <laughs>